The Monday Rewind. He leaves it actually for Young. Whips it into the penalty area. Header for Chris Pauling! And United are tearing City apart. He leaves it back for Fabregas! Seth Fabregas with two and a half minutes remaining. Lifts off his mask like the phantom. He just slips into the penalty area and slides the ball past. Rob Green, that is what champions do. It was very nerve-wracking. I thought today might be a little easier than yesterday, having played around with the lead, but it wasn't. It's the most incredible week of my life. This is as great as it gets in our sport. This is a dream come true for me. The fight is declared a split draw. Um, I think it was a fair, fair result in the end. He scored good knockdowns in the first few rounds. I, I boxed my way back into it. and was stronger and more consistent going down the stretch. That's all important in, in those championship 12 rounds. Well, the referee has blown the full-time whistle and by the skin of their teeth, Dublin have reached the Allianz League final where they'll meet Cork in two weeks. The final score, Dublin 17 points, Monaghan 16. While there was a lack of intensity, there was high scoring and there were some very high-quality scores in both games and that's why that's what we want to go and see and we want to watch quality scores and quality players playing that and we got that today. This is the Monday Rewind on News Talk. I'm Oshin Langan. In there you heard from New Masters champion Jordan Spieth, Dave McIntyre and Nathan Murphy describing goals for Manchester United and Chelsea as they beat their neighbours City and QPR. You also heard our analyst Ray Silk on yesterday's Allianz League semi-final wins for Dublin and Cork over Monaghan and Donegal. We hear more from the managers later and we get more analysis from Ray. The Allianz Hurling League semi-finals take place next week with a big double header in Nolan Park as Cork play Dublin and Waterford clash with Tip. The Stars GAA car Correspondent Shane Stapleton will talk about both matches, while in rugby it's a big week for Leinster who faced Toulon on Sunday in the Champions Cup semi-final in Marseille. Irish independent rugby correspondent Rory O'Connor joins us to look ahead. Remember, that match is live on Off the Ball. Andy Lee had a consequence-free fight in New York at the weekend. He drew with Peter Quillen, but he wouldn't have lost his belt even if he'd lost the fight. Um, could what will now turn out to be his first title defence be in Limerick? We'll hear from him later. First up, though, former Ireland and Everton player Kevin Kilban on the Manchester derby. After the game, after the 4-2 win for United, of course, he spoke to his off-the-ball co-commentator Dave McIntyre for the Monday Rewind. City started the game brilliantly. Once Aguero scores, you just felt at that time that City were going to go on and dominate the game because they had an opportunity to go 1-0 up with Navas. It was well saved by David De Gea prior to the goal. But I think... The longer the game went on, United worked the way back into it. You've got to credit him for that. I think the first half an hour of the game was very much even Stephen. But as soon as Fellaini got the second goal, City weren't quite right from that period then. And I think overall, United, particularly in the second half, just dominated. And United, City sorry, couldn't get the ball off them at times. And was that a real illustration of how fragile City's conference is at the moment? Despite the start, the dream start, when Young equalised, you could almost immediately see that maybe City's heads just weren't quite right. Yeah, well, neither side looked good defensively. I've got to say that United in the first half weren't great defensively themselves. But you're right in saying that. I think particularly when the second goal went in, they looked a little bit dishevelled. They were a little bit disorganised at the back. They couldn't stop runners coming onto them, uh, the City players. That's pretty much been the case since the turn of the year, has it, from City's point of view. Once or twice, they've conceded sloppy goals. And then the fourth goal that City conceded was just totally inept. It was really poor defending. A decent enough ball played in from Young, but everybody went to sleep and it was a simple head off the back of it. So City need to get themselves back together again because if they finish outside the top four, it'll be a disastrous season for them. That's six on the spin for Manchester United and in three of those games, they've had to play Tottenham, Manchester City and Liverpool. So yeah. tough fixtures. And yet they have come through those three games in particular with just flying colours, playing good football, incredible tempo, scoring goals. You just wonder where it's come from. I've done a lot of United games this season. I've seen them win a lot of games, but their performances at times have left so much to be desired. Yeah, I think we've come away disappointed so often from Old Trafford this season when we've been to watch them or wherever it's been watching United. Very underwhelming, I've got to say, at times, but... As you say, that Tottenham game, just give them the belief. They started with a real zest, a real tempo in the game, and they've just taken that through now. Villa the other week was probably different because Villa set up a lot different than the other side because I think Tottenham come here thinking, oh, we can win this. Yeah. I think Liverpool at Anfield, Liverpool thought we can win this, and United have blown them away. And again today, I mean, what I would say, City have gone in, you've got to say City went in front, should have done better on the goals they conceded. You thought this is going to be a right game. It turned out it was a brilliant game, particularly in the first half, both sides going for it. 
but United's turnaround has been after that after that Tottenham game, and it's been an outstanding turnaround for them. Yeah. The position that this victory leaves them in, it, it takes the pressure off them in many ways going to Stamford Bridge next weekend. Yeah. They can afford to lose that game and still be in a great position. Is it start time to maybe start looking long-term at what United can do? If they can take this kind of momentum into the summer with them, pick up two or three big names, maybe get rid of a couple of faces, you start to wonder, is the Van Hal project really starting to take shape now? Yeah, that's the way it looks, doesn't it? Again, it's taken a bit of time. And he, he said, I mean, I think initially when he came in, he said it'll take two or three months uh, for my philosophy, as he, as he put it, to start to, to be implemented and start to, to, to come to fruition. It's took a little bit longer than he thought, I think, initially. I think he knew he had to do a lot of work with his side. But now, all of a sudden, we're seeing the results and we're seeing the performances. That's, that's the key, I think, from United's point of view and Van Gaal's point of view. But there's enough within the locker. I think next week, they're they go to Chelsea. Or a couple of weeks, when they're at Chelsea. Overall, you know what Mourinho does. Mourinho will just literally use that game and go, right, well, shut up shop. We will not give anything away. Worst case scenario, we'll draw the game. I think he'll be happy with the draw, Mourinho, if that's the case. And then they move on to the week after. So, if United can sneak it, I don't think they'll topple Chelsea. I don't think that for one minute. But over the next year, 18 months, you've got Arsenal with a lot of money behind them now. A real force are going to be. You've got United. We know the wealth and the funds that they've got behind them as well. We could see a really exciting uh, Premier League next season, yeah. This season's Premier League title race could have been more exciting if Fabregas hadn't grabbed that winner late on and off the throat earlier. But is it fair to say that as long as those three fixtures remain to be played, Arsenal, Manchester United and Liverpool, to Chelsea have to face those three teams, until then we can say that it's not quite done and dusted. No, it's not quite done and dusted. Again, I mean, so go back to your point, City do, sorry, Chelsea do have the game in hand. That's going to be key for them. And it's against Leicester. Against you expect Leicester. them to win that. You would expect them, but you know, Leicester on a run. And, you know, Sunderland, I remember Sunderland, the position that they were in last year, they went to Stamford Bridge and won. So you can't rule anything out. You know, you know the way that it is within football and, and, and shocks do happen. But... I just think overall, I just think there's too much to happen for Chelsea not to win the league. Chelsea have got to drop points, and then the other sides have got to win all the games. I know Arsenal have been on an incredible run with those eight wins on the bounce, but I just think there's too much that's got to happen for uh, for Chelsea to lose the league. So finally, City, this terrible run of form continues. Is there any way that you would envisage Manuel Pellegrini leading them into the next Premier League season? Uh, yeah, I do. I can't. I, I wouldn't rule it out because. Uh, from reading between the lines when you speak to a lot of the Manchester journalists around here City have their eyes on, on, on Pep Guardiola but Pep Guardiola won't be leaving uh, Bayern Munich till at least next summer summer of 2006 uh, 2000, uh, what am I? 16, yeah. 16 sorry I'm there yeah 2016 so there's got to be some whether or not they're going to appoint a short term manager in that place and they've got someone in the club Petra Vieira could do that but he want the job long term there's been talk of him there's been talk of Rafa Benitez or there's been talk of sticking with Pellegrini for the year knowing full well now I'm not too sure if, that, if, that's, if that's the best case for City because if you do that the players know what's around the corner you can rest you can um, not play to your full not play to your, to your full potential so I wouldn't be in favour of that I'd rather an appointment was made if they're going to look long term in this summer because it doesn't look like Pellegrini would be around for much longer than if it is going to be in the, in the summer of 2016 Bring yourself today Kev thanks a minute thanks cheers Dave this is the Monday Rewind on News Talk I'm Oshin Langan and that was Kevin Kilban Chelsea now 7 points clear of 2nd place Arsenal with 7 games remaining following their 1-0 win over QPR at Loftus Road after the game, off the ball commentator Nathan Murphy spoke with Ray Houghton on the Blues win. And first, whether or not they actually deserved it. No, they certainly didn't deserve it, Nathan. I don't think anyone would argue against that. I mean, they hardly had the shot on target throughout. I mean, and what we've seen from Chelsea earlier on the season, where they were quite brilliant today, I thought they were very average. Defensively, they were quite strong. I thought the two centre-halves performed very well. Courtois made the saves when needed in the game. Charlie Austin in the first half and Matty Phillips in the second but creativity-wise, they were sadly lacking today. And it was a huge mistake from Rob Green that gave him all three points. You know, the QPR keeper should have cleared it downfield from the, from the ball in his hands. He scuffed his kick out, went straight to uh, Eden Hazard, and he was brilliant. After that, he was quite superb. Played the ball into Oscar, got the reverse pass from Oscar, and then he picked out a superb ball to uh, Cesc Fabregas, who was very quiet today once again on the edge of the box, and he just side-footed it past Rob Green in the QPR goal, and... Well, that's how you get champions. Situations like this, you don't play well, but you still pick up all three points. Yeah, it's almost as if there's two different conversations with Chelsea at the moment. I think everyone agrees they deserve to be champions, but are they as good as they could be? Well, no, not at the moment, but there are reasons why that is. You know, there's no Diego Costa today. You know, there's no Loic Remy. You've had to play with uh, 
an old player in Didier Drogba who's got no match practice. You know, Didier's hardly played. He's came on as a substitute, so he's been a bit part player. And I think it showed today. You know, he was just out of sorts. He never really got any position. He never held the ball up. He never really brought the other players into the game. And Chelsea really struggled to get their passing game going. But credit to QPR. They made it a real war out there, a real battle, a physical game. Uh, they weren't trying to play themselves. They were just launching balls downfield but they were very competitive and it looked they were going to get away with a point which would have been a good point against the team currently top of the Barclays Premier League but in the end it was just heartache for Queen's Park Rangers and Chris Ramsey whose game plan worked supremely well from his point of view they were never going to make it an open and attractive game because they would have got beat they haven't got the craft to do that against Chelsea so they made it a hard working game and you thought they'd just done enough to get over the line to pick up a point until that cruel moment late on in the game when McGreen made that mistake they're seven points clear they have a game in hand but they do still have to play Manchester United Arsenal and Liverpool United and Arsenal their next two games when they look at these performances not the results the performances and not the points gap is there still some hope? There's always hope particularly for Arsenal have won eight straight wins in a row which has been a phenomenal end to the season can they continue to win every game between now and then which will give them an outside chance but just look at Chelsea's form at home just look at their league form where they haven't lost the game under Jose Mourinho in the league in his two periods as manager of, of, of Chelsea Football Club so they know they can afford to draw matches you know they can draw against Man United they can draw against Arsenal and that will be enough to see them through as champions this season they need 85 points that's the maximum they need because Arsenal can only get 84 and they're the nearest club to them so four wins away from doing just that so even if they were to lose to Man United Arsenal and Liverpool they've still got four other games that they're more than capable of winning so certainly still in Chelsea's hands great great start to you as always this is the Monday Rewind on News Talk and that was Ray Houghton still to come Team 33's Raph Diallo on this week's Champions League action and we look ahead to next Sunday's Champions Cup semi-final between Toulon and Leinster the stars Shane Stapleton will also drop in to talk about the hurling semi-finals in the Allianz League Waterford taking on a Tipperary and Dublin meeting Cork we've also got golf as Jordan Spieth wins the Masters first though it's Gaelic football and yesterday Dublin and Cork beat uh, Monaghan and Donegal in the Allianz League semis at Crow Park the Rebels overcame Donegal 4-11 to 19 points while the Dubs squeezed out a 17 points to 16 win over Monaghan it was quite a close game Ray Silk's analysis to come but first let's hear from all four managers starting with Cork boss Brian Cuthbert who spoke to 96 and 103 FM's GA correspondent Finbar McCarthy you know I think I'm very happy with the performance very happy with the win I suppose coming on the back of last year when we were here and at the same stage of the competition um, you know it's very important that we'd, we'd come and perform and I think we did that um, you know we got goals at the right time some of them one or two of them might have been lucky but they were good goals and uh, certainly we, we kept out goals at the right time because they were crucial saves and you know I, I think you know any time you play Donegal and win is a good time any time you play Donegal and, and control the last 12 minutes playing keep you up and keep yeah. the ball it's, it's, it's actually quite pleasing and when you have guys like Brian Hurley and Colin in your forward line exquisite finishers yeah I, I think look all the very good teams all the top teams have, have inside forward line that is lethal and then we're the same we're delighted to have them I think uh, marking one of them is difficult but marking two of them is, is next to impossible when they're on fire and certainly both of them were out in front today and showed for an awful lot of ball and won an awful lot of ball and you know I thought the goals were brilliant from yeah. both of them both their goals were superb brilliant finishes and uh, I think the more they have the ball the better it is for Cork now obviously teams don't want them to have the ball and it's our job to make sure we can get them to, to be and I know being simplistic but it's our job to make sure we can get them the ball Well Rory uh Suppose disappointing. Score 19 points and to be on the losing side. Ah, look, the number one disappointing to lose, and yeah, as you say, look to concede four goals and you know, you know, lose a game. You know, having scored 19 points, but look, that doesn't happen us too often. And you know, I'd be pretty confident we know why some things happened today. But at the same time, it, it, you always like to win. Yeah, happy enough with the first half. I'm sure it was that period that started the second half that they got the goals that proved diff- the difference. Ah, happy with the first half in particular, the first 18 or 19 minutes. You know. But after that, um, you know, Cork got a wee bit of initiative and the start of the second half to pull the way a wee bit, you know. Yeah. How big a priority was today's game for you? I well, I think everybody knows, you know, in, in, uh, in inter-county football, the championship's a priority, you know. Um, the league is, is preparation for it and, and this was an extension of it, you know. It was a wee bit of a bonus game, but, you know, our training and our focus all year is geared towards Toronto in the 70th of May and a game today, um, I suppose, in some ways... 
you take it as it comes. It's not a priority. It's not a goal of yours at the start of the year to, to, to reach a National League final. It, it lacked the ten- intensity that you're going to get in the Championship game, obviously. Ah, well, there's no doubt about that. It's probably eerie playing in Croke Park with so few there, but you know, there's no doubt the game in general lacked that bite. Dublin manager Jim Gavin, a one-point win. You must be happy with how cool your team stayed under pressure. Yeah, um, I suppose that's a positive. Yeah, you're, you're highlighting there uh, to go down the stretch with uh, being, to be a point down to stay in control of their emotions and, and try and figure a way out against a very good Monon team. Uh, we were pleased in that regard. But I think overall uh, the performance wasn't what it should have been. We, we went after performance today. We didn't get it and, and somehow we got the result. What dissatisfied you about the performance from your team? It was some of our shot, shot selection um, was a bit off and I think that their core uh, skills and one of the things which you go after and in our practice sessions, uh, you know, the skills of the game uh, let us down, a lot of handling errors and, and passing errors, and um, that turned the ball over quite a bit. I think we'd, we'd probably most of the possession out there, uh, or the majority of it during the game, and uh, we didn't do well enough with the ball. I suppose you came up against the blanket again today. What are you learning about this blanket, and how are you adapting to come up, coming up against it? Yeah, you know, people throw this, this term blanket defence. Um, I don't know whether people just don't, don't read into the, the, the intricacies of the defensive systems that team play. Um, you know, Monon are very adapted to playing their particular system. Some players go man to man, some are going zonal, and some are sweeping, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a credit to them um, the way they can do. A lot of hard work obviously goes on the training field. Um, but I suppose it's, it's, it's a one point win against a particular defensive system that one needs to be, I suppose, happy with in some sense. But uh, you know they're a very good team to go away. You know to beat, carry away, and to, to get a result against Donegal shows how good they are. Last week when we played them up in up in um, St. Tiernex Park wasn't a true reflection of the team that I have watched on tapes and I've seen them play live as well. The Ulster Championship they were a very accomplished side. Um, they're going to they're going to do well in the championship this year. Malachy O'Rourke, I'm sure there's mixed emotions after that game. I suppose the positive is that you know you really put it up to Dublin and could have won. The negative is, unfortunately, you didn't lost by one in the end. Yeah, that's that's about it. Um, you know, I suppose after last week, the primary focus was to put in a, a more competitive performance for the, for the seventy minutes. Uh, you know, we were disappointed with the performance last week. Dublin got away to a good start, and we were really chasing the game all the time last week. We were, we were hoping that this week we, we'd make it more competitive, that we wouldn't let them get away. I suppose in the first half, we still were disappointed with with some aspects of our performance. I thought the second half was better. We gave ourselves a chance of winning. We didn't we didn't take it and end up, but. Uh, I suppose overall, you know, taking the league as a whole, we'd be pleased with, with, with a lot of the things we've done and, and now we turn our thoughts to the Championship. Focus now switches to Ulster. There's no doubt, and that's what I've said all, all during the, the National League, it sort of said that we'll, we'll, we'll take every game on its own merits. Um, we'll, we'll, we know that there's going to be some up, ups and downs and, and uh, that's what we got. But we know as well that regardless of, <coughs> excuse me, regardless of how well we did in the league, but the big day for us is the 24th of May when we go to Breffney Park. And, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a local derby. Cavan will be chomping at a bit to, uh, to get at us. We'll probably be installed as favourites because of the fact we're in Division 1. But that, that means absolutely nothing. And, uh, you know, it's not, a, it's not a matter of saying it for the sake of saying it. We know it's, it's, it's going to be a one-point game either way, I would imagine. And it's whichever team performs best in the day. So it, it really doesn't matter what way the league went. It'll be all in the day and we just we just prepare for it now and hopefully that we're, we're ready for it. Ray Silk, two times an All-Ireland winner with Galway. We've watched Cork and Dublin win their respective Allianz League semi-finals. We'll start with the first one, Cork against Donegal. Cork scoring four goals, that was the big difference. Yeah, they were very impressive. I think any team that has Cullum O'Neill and Brian Hurley inside is going to do damage. Like I thought O'Neill took both his goals very, very well, smoothly, and obviously Hurley's was a fantastic strike. So, you know... I don't know when the last time Donegal, I think against Mayo, conceded four goals. But if you concede four goals or four eleven, you're not going to win much. I thought Donegal looked a wee bit tired at the back. Um, Carol Lacey wasn't his normal dynamic self. Neil McGeary found Colm O'Neill quite a handful. So, you know, I suppose Donegal are playing championship in a few weeks' time against Tyrone. But that said, you know, you'd, you have to, you wonder, I think it's going back to 2012 when they won the All-Ireland. Are they good enough to kick on and win another one? I'd have my doubts after today, but it was a good result by Cork. I was impressed with um, Finton Gould at midfield. He kicked four superb points from play, and I had concerns maybe about Owen Cadigan in midfield on the way up on the, on, the, on the train this morning, but he did very well as well, so it was a good win for Cork. With Brian Hurley and Colm O'Neill, they look like they can cut defences open. That's what they're going to have to do against Dublin, who won the second game. Jim Gavin actually said when they met uh, earlier in the league that Cork are quite defensive, but obviously Cork have evolved since. 
Yeah, and uh, it's interesting that Jim would say that because on, on numerous occasions there in the second half, Dublin had 13 and 14 men behind the ball as well. So I think Dublin are quite prepared to go defensive if needs be. That's just the way the game has gone. And I saw a few comments where he said he, they just followed the Monaghan men, but I don't know if that's fully, fully true either. But um, Jim has, I suppose, a, a few concerns. Uh, David Byrne found uh, Conor McManus too hot to handle. So they're probably trying to, need to get, want to get Roy O'Carroll back as soon as he can. I think he's a soft tissue injury. So... O'Carroll missing and, and Bernard Brogan missing uh, Dublin struggled at spots but they, look they're still a very dynamic side when you consider Jim McConnell didn't score from play Paul Flynn didn't have one of his better games and yet they still won so I, I thought hats off to Monaghan they worked very very hard with McManus scoring 8 points I thought uh, Kieran Hughes did very very well as well and Roy Began kicked one stunning free in, in, in the first half so you know, I still felt that Dublin were going to win that game, even going into the last stretch. They ran their bench really well, and I think Michael Dara McCauley in particular made a big difference when he came on, and Emmett Keneally scored one fantastic point from distance as well. So, look, it's set up for an interesting league final. Um, Dublin have won two in a row. It's, you know, are they capable of doing three in a row? Yet to see, but O'Neill and Hurley are serious players, and I've been very impressed with all through the league with Mark Collins. He's working very, very hard as well in Lincoln plays. So... Cork are setting up a, a very defensive system as well because I think it's Colin O'Driscoll there wing forward like he just goes back as an extra defender as well so Brian Cuthbert knows what he's trying to do and it was effective today Did we see <laughs> with Dublin in the second game and this is something that Cork will think about and no doubt all of Dublin's opponents for the rest of the year will think about if you shut down Connolly and Flynn even though they have reams of talent Dublin will struggle yeah, well, look, I think Paul Finn has got four All-Stars in a row, so he's a very, very special player. Likewise, Connolly on form is one of the top players in the country. So, you know, I don't think we're... we're, we're it's, it's no state secret to say if you stop those two, you're yeah. in a much better situation. How did Monaghan manage it, though? Because I'm sure everyone sees that and sees the potential damage that those two possess. Yeah, well, they worked very, very hard. Uh, Vincent Gorey did very, very well on Flynn, and they won. They did quite well at midfield, so if you can stop them getting possession, also to funnel a lot of guys back, so they didn't give them scope on numerous occasions. The minute Connolly got, got possession, there was a lot of Monaghan, and he attracted a lot of attention there. I think if the, if the inside line, with Bernard Brogan missing today, like Dean Rock did score uh, six points, but five of them for kick balls, and Kieran Kilkenny didn't score, so I think one of the problems for Flynn Lynn and Connolly is that there wasn't enough penalty. Uh, penetration inside so then they were looking to try and do a little bit more from outside the field so yeah like if you stop those two if, if Cork can stop those two players they have a great opportunity I thought as I said earlier I think Michael Dara McCauley made a big difference when he came on he had a lot of impetus around there because both Bastic and O'Sullivan were taken off so it's a concern for Dublin and I suppose that the big thing is they need to get Rory O'Carroll back at full, yeah. full back like he is a huge player for them and uh, Conor McManus was, was, was fantastic five or six points five points from play and they didn't seem to have a man to stop him even when Cooper went on him like he was double team marked on loads of occasions and he was still able to get eight points so I think that gives Cork uh, something to look forward to and I'm looking forward to seeing Colm O'Neill and Brian Hurley I think they had a very good game in the league as well so Hurley's a fine player likewise O'Neill so you know that's exciting inside forwards like that cause damage when you look at Johnny Gall they have uh, McBurty and Murphy and Anthony Cullen uh, Colm Anthony McFadden as well the inside line have to be really really dynamic and uh, ruthless at this level because they're not going to get too many opportunities to have to take them saw a tweet today actually from the off the ball account um, football has been found alive and well in Croke Park after today's semi-finals would you agree with those sentiments is there has there been an overreaction in the last couple of weeks to blanket defences etc even though we saw one from Monaghan today but because McManus was so special up front scoring five points we're kind of we're not too harsh on them, whereas we were on Derry. Yeah, well, the, look, the, there was no pace in the Derry-Donegal uh, Dublin match as well, so at least there was a little bit of pace at times today, and, you know, <coughs> Manon were impressive enough, but, look, it's just, it, it's like, it's gone so tactical now, like, it's all forward, all back, all, tact- all forward, all back, and like I said, on occasions I saw Dublin having 15 men inside their own 45 as well, but look, when, you, when you're a point up and there's a few minutes to go, that's what you're going to do, but, look, I think we can be overly critical as well, but some of the league matches I have watched have been pretty toxic, like, particularly when you've... Yeah, has that league. always been the case, though, in the league? Is that's not just specific to this year? No, look, league, February and March, it's, it's yeah. tough going, like, I, you know, but I suppose we're watching so much high-quality sport as well. You know, you're watching the Six Nations and you're watching Ireland and England and that, yeah. that epic weekend and you're looking at uh, the Champions League's quarterfinals and you're looking at Premiership soccer and a lot of this is ramped up to a very, very high level. Yeah. So when the punter goes through the gates, he's expecting a lot, of, a lot of talent as well and a lot of excitement and you're not always going to get that. But, you know, we had, we had good games last year. I'm sure we're going to have a good championship later on in the year and a league final to look forward to. But, that reaction, I suppose, look, that was a terrible, terrible game of Gaelic football, and no one wants to watch that, but, 
you're going to get the, those atrocities every now and again. But today, <laughs> yeah. you know, today while there was a lack of intensity, there was high scoring and there were some very high quality scores in both games. And that's why that's what we want to go and see. And we want to watch quality scores and quality players playing that. And we got that today. Ray Silk, formerly <coughs> of Galway and currently of the Irish Examiner. Thanks for talking to us on the Monday Rewind. Thanks. Have a good day. That's Ray Silk and before him Malachy O'Rourke and Jim Gavin. You also heard from Cork boss Brian Cuthbert as well as Donegal manager Rory Gallagher speaking to Highland Radio's Tom McCormack. Still to come, golf and rugby as well as Andy Lee but first hurling next Sunday in Nolan Park. Dublin face Cork and Waterford meet tip in the Alliance League semi-finals. GAA correspondent with the star Shane Stapleton joins me. Um, Shane, we've been obsessed with the state of football in recent weeks but let's uh, let's talk about hurling. Judging from what we've seen in the league so far. What state is that in? I think it's in a very good state. I mean, Kilkenny are still the champions, but they're, they've obviously taken a hit. You can't lose that many players and not take a bit of a hit. But the fact that Ballyhale won the Club All-Ireland shows that what they're bringing back in is obviously still strong. Clare are probably stronger than we might have thought considering the fallout they've had there and lo- losing all the players to football. Tipperary looks strong again. Waterford are the story so far as far as I'm concerned. Wexford have been good and bad. Cork, hard to tell. But a lot of these teams will be fairly much in contention when the when the summer comes around. Now Waterford taking on Tipperary. Tipperary will be without Seamus Callum. We'll come back to that. Uh, they've been accused of being massively defensive, Waterford. And they've been accused of being the Donegal of hurling. First of all, what do you make of it? And second of all, is it the right thing to do? Because it seems to be working. Well, first of all, I was the one who put it to Derek McGrath. I said, what would you make of being called the Donegal of, um, of Hurland? And he goes, I'd be absolutely disgusted with it if I can take off your accent. But uh, You can't. It, I can't, no. But it's, it's very true. And it's not a bad thing because you take what you have and you make the best of it. You know, any team, when it looks at the players it has, it says, what's the best system that suits us? With Kilkenny, it's drive the ball long because these players are always able to win the ball in the forward line with Tipperary short stick passes 30-40 yards open up a team that way Waterford are actually doing something somewhat similar to Clare in Hurling's uh, senses they've got a lot of nippy fast players like you look at midfield and I see Jamie Barron and I think he's quite similar to Colin Galvin and uh, you look at you know, they're putting extra numbers back there and Tyg de Burka is kind of standing in that pocket right in the middle the way Conor Ryan or, or Pat Donnellan was for Clare in 2013. So what they've got is they've got one guy up front. A lot of the time it's been Stephen Bennett and maybe Jake Dillon and they're trying to fire ball, balls up to them. And it ups, it really upset Wexford and Galway in the last two games. Now, what the, the challenge for Tip is to decide what to do against that. Do you push up on them and leave one man back, maybe just two men back, if Bennett is going to be the sole man up front? Or do you just try and play 15 on 15, which I don't think will work? So Watford will have a lot of joy. They have so much traffic in the middle that it will upset Tip. And Tip have struggled against Clare, we'll say, in the past couple of years when Clare have brought a load of men back. They didn't when they played this year. So I think that's the challenge for Tip. Do you push up on this Watford team or do you let Watford dictate how the game will be played? And Tipper missing Seamus Callan. He is suspended. He will be a go-to man for this kind of game because he's become a real ball winner and he's become incredibly consistent in the last couple of seasons. So he's a big loss specifically for this game, specifically for this kind of tactic that they'll come up against. Yeah, that's, that's precisely it. He, he was often accused in the past of not being able to win his own ball and just being a bit of a loose ball merchant, but he's completely not that. I don't think he ever particularly was that and he certainly isn't now. You look how often he's, he's delivered on the scoreboard. But I think it's probably a good thing for Tipperary in a way because either way they'll be expected to win this game. But there's possibly a problem that they're becoming too predictable in having Seamus Callan in his full forward and that's it. So other teams can look at it and, and say, OK, well, we know we have to protect this certain area. Tip will try and ha- maybe have two guys inside. One will be Callan, one will be, you know, A and other. And the thing now is Tip have to try and find another way to, to do that and get a plan B for inside. So I think for Tip it's a good thing. Obviously, they will lack having Seamus Callan on the field, which is never a positive. But in terms of trying to find out of other ways to skin a cat, which obviously is the way that things might be later in the summer, that this might actually prove to be a positive. I've been speaking to Ken Hogan a lot this summer because obviously we worked together pretty much for every tip game. Um, he said that while you know, it was bad for Bonner and it was bad for Tip that, that he was missing for a few games, in many ways it was a good thing because... Bonner tended to be the only one that could kind of open up defences and if he didn't function, Tip in a forward sense didn't function. They missed him, but 
they found a few more keys to unlock defences in his absence. Yeah, well, that's precisely it. You, you don't want to have to go to the same guys every single time because if you keep trying to win the same way and it doesn't happen, it's unlikely that it's going to work again in the future. So they've, dev- they've found more players. I mean, John McGrath is an obvious example. Um, Jason Ford, who's had his chances in the past, he seemed to get bigger and stronger and I think that he's going to be a bigger player. His shooting has improved on. as well because he was always willing to take it on but he was a bit of a kind of a, a one and two man. Now it, it seems to be that when he gets the ball he'll generally put it over. Mm, and that's probably with confidence from playing at this level. One thing that I was always impressed with with him at under 21 level even against that, that fabulous Clare side that went on to win the All-Ireland a couple of years ago this guy when he gets in on goals he will put it low underneath the keeper which is a real sign of a, an intelligent hurler. So I think he's definitely developing and there, there are a lot of doubters with him as well, but I think he's starting to answer them. What about Tip at midfield? They seem to have done a bit of experimentation there. Brendan Maher has gone in at times. Yeah, well, the thing with Brendan is they just need to find a spot for him because somebody even tweeted me at one point, is it out of the question to say that the captain, his spot might be in jeopardy? And of course it's, it's out of the question to say that because the only problem is they need to find a spot and leave him there. Now, a lot of the time he's been centre forward and I think that works quite well. Because after last year, Tip would be thinking, do we need one more go-to ball winner in the forward line? And don't get me wrong, Brendan is well capable of scoring three or four points, which is also a benefit in there. As regards midfield, the options are, are plenty. Kieran Bergen broke his hand on Sunday. Now, he was expected to be out for the rest of the league anyway, but he broke it when he came on for killing all. He's excellent midfield or wing-back. Woodlock is excellent midfield. Shane McGrath's an option there. Ronan Maher's played wing-back but could play midfield as well. So, I mean, the thing with Tip is they're a little bit like Man City or Chelsea were, you know, when they had uh, all the Galacticos, well, not quite Galacticos, but they're pretty much two lads challenging for every position. So you're in a pretty rude health when when that's the situation. Let's talk about Cork and Dublin. Dublin will be out for revenge having taken an absolute trimming from Cork earlier in the league. Yeah, I think they'd be surprised with how that worked out and... It, it fueled the, the kind of suggestion that Dublin aren't particularly suited to Croke Park, that there's too many, you know, let's say, big athletic players that mightn't be great on the turn. But, um, and, and the thing is, they've also, pref- it kind of went with their record where they were twice as likely to win at Parnell Park as they were at Croke Park since 2009 onwards. And they even had a better record in away grounds and county grounds around the country. So I, th- I think it's, it's, an important, it's important for Dublin to win this game just for their own confidence, especially with a new manager. And, you know, nobody likes getting hammered yeah. like that. I mean, Cork have been up and down like most teams and wouldn't have been particularly, particularly um, impressive against Wexford. So it's important for both teams in a lot of ways for confidence because, you know, they were both at their height in 2013. Maybe last year didn't go the way they wanted. So I, I think it's a big game for both. What's impressed you about Dublin under Ger Cunningham? I think the most impressive performances have been against the two All-Ireland finalists from last year. Tip looked off the boil the, f- the first day and uh, Kilkenny, they were lacking numbers and got two lads sent off in Nolan Park the second day. But they bossed both games from, from pretty much the word go. So you have to be impressed with that, that a team comes out and it's sure of itself when it comes out and performs from the get-go. The other thing that I've been ha- um, impressed with from Cunningham is that he hasn't just said, OK, I'm sticking with Liam Rush at full forward, even though at times it looks like it's working and other times it doesn't. Now, I remember during that Tipperary game the first day, we, we spoke at halftime mm. and Rush had done OK. He'd set up a goal uh, for Eamon Dillon and he ended up scoring one at the very end of the game as well. But I, I don't feel that it works there, that Dublin lose too much by having him inside. He's a ball winner. He's a mid-late player and you, you can't have him waiting to see will ball go into him because the game might have passed him by in the meantime. So let him out into the middle eight. His physicality in hurling means that you're going to win a lot of ball to get to the lads who should be closer to goal, like, you know, Mark Schutte, mm. David Tracy, Dotsy, Paul Ryan, these kind of players. So he he, he brought um, Rush out to half-forward line against Limerick and, you know, it's, it's a sign that he's not just going to stick to something just for the sake of sticking to it. Cork, kind of like last year, we're, we're still unsure what their best 15 is and Judging by the look of them, they're kind of unsure as well. And they've had a few injuries as well. They have, yeah. I mean, one player I've been impressed with is um, Cormac Murphy, who's come in wing-back, and he's looked like a real fine this year. Um, another player who's also left-handed, also green helmet, is Aidan Walsh. And the question is, you know, settling him into a position, much like Brendan Maher with Tipperary, this guy has clearly got all the talent, but we need to settle him in and find a position. And they found some new players like Rob O'Shea, Anthony Spillane looks like he could be a good player too. 
So the question for them is, is like you say, finding that best 15. And you really just don't know with Cork just now. They are capable of, of running a team out of the uh, out of the field. But they're also capable of being pushed over a little bit too. And, you know, they put up a huge scoreline against Tipperary, were my, 12 points ahead, I believe, and ended up falling away. Then it was uh, like two different teams in the two different halves against uh, Wexford as well. So you're just not sure have they found the consistency just yet to play for 70 minutes. Just quick predictions for the two games. Well, you'd have to go with Tipperary against Watford, um, just by virtue of the fact that Tipperary just seem a little bit further down the line. Uh, Watford are developing, and I think that system will cause Tipperary trouble. Um, so so for, for this game, I think a lot of it for Tipperary is finding out another way to, to, to approach a game, because they're used to going 15 on 15, maybe bringing out an extra man, but they're, they're going to have to push up on Watford. And I think they'll, they'll win it, but not by too much. As for the other game, that's a real lottery. Um, I think by virtue of how Dublin played in Nolan Park earlier this year when they bossed Kilkenny, I'd just about give them the edge there. Okay, Shane Stapleton, GA correspondent with the Star. Thanks for joining us on the Monday Rewind podcast. It's a league semi-final double header between Waterford and Tip and Dublin and Cork next Sunday in Nolan Park. It's a great venue for it and we're expecting a great atmosphere. Shane, cheers. Thank you. Well, this is The Rewind. I'm Oisín Langan. Still to come, we look ahead to Leinster's Champions Cup semi-final with Toulon next Sunday. A match you can hear live on Off the Ball. And we preview this week's Champions League games. Now, though, it's golf. And Jordan Spieth has moved up to number two in the world rankings following his four-shot win at the Masters. The 21-year-old became the first player in 39 years to lead a Masters from start to finish. And he was also the first to shoot 28 birdies at the tournament. Justin Rose and Phil Mickelson were tied for second on 14 under. A score which would have won 70 of the previous 78 Masters. Rory McIlroy was fourth on 12 under. Now Tiger Woods could be out for a while after dislocating his thumb. He still finished fairly well though. Let's get the analysis of former Sunday Times golf writer John Hopkins who spoke to the Pat Kenny Show here on News Talk. But first, let's hear from Spieth, McIlroy, Rose, Big Phil and Woods. I just remember telling my parents, I remember telling my instructor when I was very young that I wanted to win the Masters someday, and my dad said, all right, well, you know, if that's what you want, then make sure you set some goals, we'll give you the opportunities, and uh, same with my instructor, and we just kind of plotted our way. It was very nerve-wracking. I thought today might be a little easier than yesterday, having played around with the lead, but it wasn't. It's the most incredible week of my life. This is as great as it gets in our sport. This is a dream come true for me. I can take a lot of positives from this, not just you know coming into this event next year, but you know for the rest of the year. You know I know my game's in, in great shape, and you know hopefully I can challenge for many more tournaments until the end of the season. You know Rory obviously has set the bar very very high for us young guys, and um, to be able to to have the opportunity to accomplish you know one of the four that he has in major championships. You know, I strive to have the, the success on course that he's had, and um, and to maybe battle it out with him. As far as setting, resetting goals, I'm not sure yet. I'm looking to the next major. Uh, that's where we want to peak next, uh, play the same way I played here and have the same attitude going in. To make the complete swing change um, and rectify all the, all the faults and then come here into a major championship and contend, um, I'm proud of that part of it. I uh, just wish I could have made, made a few more putts, timely putts, um, and uh, you know, moved up that board. Got off to a good start, which is exactly what I wanted to do today, birding one and two. And, um, you know, the front line just can be tricky if you don't quite get in the right spots. But all in all, I was happy the way I stuck with it. And, uh, you know, to, to come here and with not a lot of form so far this season to finish tied second is obviously a good result. And I feel like my season is now underway. I would have taken 14 under at the start of the week. I would have been happy with that. I think it. I've, I've played really well to shoot 14 under, and I just simply got outplayed uh, by, uh, by a young player who uh, just played some incredible golf. What we're looking at here is an exceptional young man. Um, I don't recall hearing so many people say so many nice things about one person for a very, very long time. Uh, he's exceptional. He's articulate. He's humble. He's thoughtful. Uh, and interestingly, all the things that were said, uh, or many of the things that were said, related to his personality, not his skill with the golf club. Um, I think we're going to see Jordan uh, speed around for a long, long time. 
Now, one of the things that people were saying is, you know, the invincibility of youth, the, the, the self-confidence of youth, the courage of youth. You know, he didn't um, play conservatively, I suppose, until the last. I think his caddy was saying to him, just get the pars. That, that'll be fine. You've enough uh, to spare to, to do it. But even then, he didn't do that. Well, I think this invincibility thing of youth, I think that um, uh, I'm not so sure about that, really. I think that what he did was actually he realized that he was in a very, very difficult situation and he just made sure that he didn't make any any mistakes. Invincibility, I mean, invincibility when you've got the world's best players beating down your neck, you're playing on one of the world's hardest golf course courses when you know that there are tens of millions of people on television sitting on the edges of their seat watching you all around the world. I don't think it's invincibility. I think it's just really common sense and an exceptional ability to make sure that you just do the job in hand. They always talk about one shot at a time, one shot at a time. Don't get ahead of yourself. And and he didn't, uh, except the last uh, walking up to the 18th green and he allowed his guard to slip sufficiently to say to Mike, his caddy, I think we've got it. And his caddy, uh, um, a very grounded fellow altogether, uh, said, now, hang on a minute, Jordan, uh, just get this chip close, uh, and then you can begin your celebration. And, and Smith told that story with a smile on his face. It was the moment when he momentarily, just momentarily, uh, let his guard down, and he had to be reminded that the job wasn't quite over by his caddy. Uh, what's the relationship between Mike and himself like? Because they did seem like two fellows who might go out for a drink together after, <laughs> after close of business. I don't think the pairs and caddies necessarily have to be tremendously close. Uh, I can I can think of plenty of partnerships in golf that haven't been, but they do have to work extremely well on the golf course, and the two of them did. They've known each other for some time. They are good friends, uh, and, and I, I, you know, the, the one word, the caddy Mike works very well for Jordan. That's the, that's the top and bottom of it. Um, you could probably find. Uh, other caddies might actually be better, uh, but the, the, this is a partnership that works, and they would be very, very silly to break it. That's Sunday Times golf writer John Hopkins on 21-year-old Jordan Spieth, who won the Masters. And yes, the music for the montage was from Kenny Loggins, and it was on the soundtrack of Caddyshack. Let's hope that uh, Spieth's sequel is better than Caddyshack's. Uh, this is the Monday Rewind Sports Podcast on News Talk. A very good day to you. I'm Oisín Langan. More analysis on Off the Ball tonight, by the way, of the Masters, plus the golf podcast released uh, later in the week here on News Talk with Joe and Dave. Rugby now, and next Sunday, Leinster take on Toulon in the Champions Cup semi-final in Marseille. Um, They lost to the Dragons yesterday in the Pro 12, 25-22. Also in the Pro 12 this weekend, Ulster beating Connacht 27-20. Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent joins me to discuss Rory not what you'd call ideal preparation for Leinster going down to the Dragons at 25-22 in Rodney Parade Absolutely Oisin it's been a it's been a strange season for Leinster and, and now their Pro 12 hopes are, are gone pretty much their, their chances of getting into the top 4 um, are pretty are out the window all the top 4 teams won with bonus points this weekend and, and defeat to the Dragons is going to have a massive impact on their season next year what impact it has on Toulon next weekend we'll have to, to wait and see certainly um, the returning internationals who watched that game from from the comfort of their their sitting rooms won't be happy with the guys who stepped in into their boots them at the, at the weekend. I'd imagine that the team review is going to be pretty bleak um, when when Matt O'Connor gathers his troops together because you know that was that was a big game. It wasn't that you know sometimes at this time of the season when there's a European semi final coming up, you can you know, put these things to one side and kind of you know put all all focus on Marseille and Toulon and the massive challenge that awaits. But that was a that was a game Leinster needed to win. They didn't win. But I suppose they have to clear the decks pretty quickly um, and focus on the challenge that's coming this Sunday because it's a hell of a challenge. What specifically went wrong? Defensively, they've actually been okay this season. It's scoring. That's been their problem. 
Um, well, the, I think defence has been a problem since the Six Nations. The, the, you know, the Glasgow game, they conceded a lot of tries against Bath. They, the, you know, we saw a lot of holes. They, they didn't defend particularly well against the Dragons, but at the same time, they were in a really commanding position in around um, 50 minutes when, when Ben Teo scored the second of his tries, and he looked really good. It's one of the positives from the from, from the weekend will be that Ben Teo is really starting to adapt to the game and is starting to find massive holes in defences. The problem was that he got Sinbin for a, you know, a rugby league style um, no arm tackle, and he um, unsurprising. Went, given unsurprising where he, yeah, it's hard it, to get that out of your mind. Isn't it, it is. It is. And, and you know, it, it was one of those where he hit hit the guy so hard that the guy crumpled in his arms. And you know, by the time he actually got his arms up, it was it was a little bit unfortunate. But at the same time, it was you know, it it was definitely a yellow card. They lost him, and suddenly they just looked. There were so many holes. This guy, you know, the, the Matt O'Connor talks a lot about inaccuracies, and, and for the last two games, Owen Redden has been charged down um, in his own twenty-two. They got away with it at Bath when Jimmy Gopper scampered across to cover it, but last that this weekend they didn't. And you know, when Ireland do a box kick with Conor Murray, they generally put a couple of forwards in a blocking routine. Leinster aren't doing little things like that that are leaving them exposed. Redden got charged down. The Dragons pounced on the ball and they scored a try to, to prove crucial in the end it's just little things that Leinster aren't doing that they were doing in, in previous years sure the calibre of player isn't there anymore but there's also performance things that are, that are going wrong little things like that that are costing them in big moments They're not going to beat Toulon without scoring tries that's a pretty common thought they're not going to beat Toulon full stop <laughs> well I'm, I'm trying to be positive I'm trying to be positive but they're not going to beat Toulon without scoring tries and they haven't been scoring a whole pile of tries this season you've mentioned a few things have gone wrong how much of it is down to Brian O'Driscoll not being there anymore? And I appreciate that's the, the, the Trump card excuse to play and it's an easy one uh, to go to, but it's no coincidence. I mean, their back line isn't moving as well. So I do wonder how much more of a role Brian O'Driscoll had last season and actually kind of coaching these, being a, a, maybe a de facto backs coach. And there's there's even talk that the first thing they'll do this summer is not go out and look for players. Well, it's a bit late for that anyway because you generally do that earlier in the year and earlier in the season, but they'll actually look for a high-quality backs coach. Well, I think, you know, Easton Asiwa looks like he's coming back and I think he'll fulfil some of that role with Richie Murphy being involved with Ireland. Um, I think they've missed, they've definitely missed O'Driscoll's presence and Leo Cullen's presence as well. I know Cullen's now a coach, but he's a first-year forwards coach rather than a veteran second row of, of, of you know, 17 years or so. Um, and you miss, you do miss those. You take away, the, you know, the 2012 Highland Cup winning team You've taken away Sexton, Thorne, Nasewa, O'Driscoll, and Leo Cullen. I mean, that's that's you know, it's a massive amount of experience to use to lose. I think the the impact on their back play and, and, and the impact of their attack has definitely you know been a combination of Nasewa, um, O'Driscoll, and most importantly Sexton. And I know you know next year they're 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 going to have Sexton back. They've given him a tall order because they're not going to be seated in Europe next year because of what happened at the weekend. So. You know, I think you rip. You know, it's not just O'Driscoll. I think O'Driscoll definitely was a facet. But I mean, their best attacking performance last year, well, they did two. They had Northampton Saints, mm. and they had the Pro 12 final. O'Driscoll went off after seven minutes of the Pro 12 final, and they still managed to put together a really good attacking performance. It's possible to do it, but you know, things that are happening like their passing is 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 poor. Their handling is poor. When they were chasing the game yesterday, they 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 knocked on and. Uh, there was several times they had the ball. Now they were in a difficult position. They were in their own half trying to play out, and that that always brings stress. But the amount of knock-ons was really, really poor. They seem to have a tendency of like they do need. They've said they need tries mm. for this game. I mean, tries can come about through all sorts of areas. Their scrum is very strong. Their line-out is usually very strong, although it's creaked a little bit in recent weeks. You know, their maul is strong. They've got a very good forward pack. You know, they can go about getting tries through there. But you know they need to be just they need to increase their accuracy. They need to increase their tempo, their their intensity, and even on their defence, they're 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 they need to be more aggressive in order to create opportunities off defence. Because sometimes your best your best way into the game is through you know big hits and big tackles. And they, for the third week in succession or the third game in succession um, against the Dragons, they were very soft in defence and they were kind of soaking tackles and stuff like that. It's just a very worrying, all worrying signs when you're playing against one of the best teams in the world. Some big guns coming back next week. Rob Kearney and Sean O'Brien among them, along with Jamie Heaslip. Mm. We have seen in, in recent games that doesn't necessarily mean that it will up the performance massively, but uh, certainly it won't do any harm. Now, what are the challenges to those players coming back in? Because they've had a couple of weeks since the Six Nations. Yes, they played against Bath in, in a sluggish performance, but the important thing is that they won the game. So maybe they're coming into this a bit fresher than they had come into the Bath game. 
I, I, I haven't been as negative on bat on yeah. the bat game as, as as other people have been. I, I thought for about fifty or sixty minutes they were our lads were pretty much honest. They were very similar to Joe Schmidt's Ireland in the the early stages of Six Nations. It wasn't spectacular, but it was yeah. very effective. And and the last they were more of a Volvo than a Ferrari. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it, it was yeah, winning rugby in, in the cup, and then for for an hour it looked like apart from the, letting George Ford through for for big breaks, it looked like they were a pretty you know a pretty solid professional cup. Cup rugby winning outfit, and that was you know that was plenty good enough for Munster when they won two two Heineken Cups in 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 the two thousands, and it will be plenty good enough for Leinster this season. The problem was they dropped off, so I do think that you know Carney O'Brien, Heaslip, Keane Healy, um, Devon Toner, they're going to raise the standards, particularly um, in the pack. Ian Madigan comes back in as well. Um, you know Gordon Darcy didn't do enough the weekend to to to, to nail down at number twelve spot. So um, you know the, the, that's obviously going to prove any team that that, that caliber of players they've you know they've all got Heineken Cups. Medals, you yeah. under their belt already. They know what to do, and um, they're going to to a place where they've been before and they've lost before. Um, they've got the experience of winning, you know, yeah. European semi-finals. And we're forgetting as well that with Healy and O'Brien, as good as they have been since they've come back, they still probably aren't a hundred percent. They're still getting better per game. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think O'Brien showed Murrayfield what he can do, and we, we that was the first time really since he came back from injury that he really had one of those barnstorming, rampaging games. I think he's a different challenge on his hands this weekend with Stefan Armitage because he's the best um, kind of groundhog in the game, and O'Brien will have to be at his best in that that department. But yeah, O'Brien and Healy, Healy's starting to show signs. He looks a bit heavy. It looks like he, he put on a lot of muscle mass when he was away and maybe needs a couple of games to work that off. But I mean, you know, th- these are big game players. This is the biggest game they're going to have for Leinster this, this season. Yeah, um, and they've a, they've a wrong to write, I suppose, after last season because it was such a disappointing performance. And all of our O'Brien were involved in it last year. Yeah. Toulon, what do you make of them? I, I saw a lot of them last season. I, I was over at the the quarterfinal, semi final, and final, and they're you know massively impressive unit. I mean, they've lost Johnny Wilkinson, sure, but they still can call on you know world class operators. It looks like John, you know Lee Halfman is out this weekend. It looks like we we don't know for sure, but he he, he the damage to his shoulder last weekend against Grenoble. So they just shift around their back line. They bring Dylan Armitage to full back. They probably put David Smith on one wing, Brian Habana on the other. I mean, they just have Rolls Royces in every position. They've got the best. The best of the best, the, you know, they've the guys who don't get affected by Six Nations call-ups in, in the large part. So they've been able to put, the, put you know, all their kind of older big guns on ice for a couple of months, play a couple of French top 14 games and, um, you know, peak just at the right time of the season. Any team who goes and does a double, you know, a French and European double, obviously has the A to squad and B to play, the caliber of player that, um, you know, that, that most other clubs can only envy. And in Gitto, they have probably the most exciting player in Europe. So... I mean, they're they're brilliant. They're they're they they can be great to watch. They you know people are down on them because they have been assembled by by a checkbook. But you know, as a rugby team, um, their power is awesome. Their hands when they get going are phenomenal. We saw when they played Ulster, um, and they did so much damage to to to, to you know a slightly weakened Ulster team. That um, you know when they, when they get going, they're just phenomenal. But if you stay with them for an hour as Munster showed last season because Munster did a much better job than Leinster at, uh, in their semi-final um, if you stay with them and you're still there in the hour mark and you're looking them in the eye they can blink and that's when that's what Leinster need to do is, is stay with them because like any team even though they are one of the best te- those, you know I think you know if you, if they played in the Six Nations they do a good, pretty good job of winning it let's say you know they're one of the best teams in the world you know they're still vulnerable if you stay with them and you, you ask questions of them and you play at a high pace because there is an age profile there. So, I mean, there are ways into it for Leinster. It's just very hard to see, given their form, where, the, where those ways in are, you know. Yeah. Just before I let you go, Connacht and Ulster on Saturday at the sports ground. A couple of seasons ago, or maybe even last season, that's a game that Connacht would have got nothing out of. They mm. did manage to get the bonus point. They're hanging on in there. Uh, they're hanging on to sixth place. Yeah, and you know, Pat Lamb made that point after the game. They got hammered by Ulster twice last season, and and this year they lost by three points and seven points. Um, and they were still raging afterwards because that game was there for them to be won. They they spent sixty percent possession and territory yeah. for most of the game. They they owned the ball. And, and you look back on that incident as well, where they went to the TMO, and I think it was Pinar who had his hands on mm. it, but he hadn't touched it down. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a strange. Incident. It was a real technical call, and yeah. you know, Nigel Owens went with the, the you know, the offside line has gone in, in, in the in goal area, and, and looked like Bundy Aki had done a really clever thing, and you know that that they will regret that, but they also let Ulster off the hook. They had the ball for about twenty five minutes, you know, into the wind, and they played really, really well, and then Bundy Aki made who was really good for most of the game, um, a little little like Ben Teo actually was just a bit loose, and 
um, Ulster pounced and Ulster were just really clinical really ruthless looked like they looked like the team were going to win this league I think and um, they taught Connacht the lesson in taking their chances when you have the when you have the chance Paddy Jackson just spotted that Quinn Rue was caught isolated out in the wing and he got the ball there really really quickly it was really sharp it was everything that Leinster aren't at the moment and Tommy Bow and Craig Gilroy were just onto it and Louis Ludic earlier they just Ulster looked really really sharp even though they didn't play particularly well they scored five tries away from home and the, and the sports ground's a tough place their first Irish team to win in the sports ground this season it was very impressive Connacht are still there they're still in the hunt results kind of went their way although the Scarlets got a last minute kick in Zebra if the Scarlets hadn't won that game then Connacht would have been you know, coming out of this weekend ahead as it stands they're in a real, real race to, to the finish and I think the way the fixtures are falling it's just going to be too much for them OK, Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent. Thanks for joining us on the Monday Rewind and enjoy your trip to Marseille. I will, don't worry. This is the Monday Rewind. Remember, you can contact us across the week at any stage on mondayrewind at newstalk.com. A very good day to you. I'm Oshin Langan. In boxing, Andy Lee drew his fight with Peter Kid Chocolate Quillen in New York after being knocked down in the first round. He also went down in the third, but uh, the referee spotted that Quillen actually stood on his foot. So that knockdown didn't count in some ways. This fight didn't count because Quillen obviously didn't make the weight, so even if he'd won, Andy would have kept his belt. After the bout, Lee spoke with Limerick Live 95's Liam Ahern. Oh, great right hand from Quillen. Terrific shot. And now Lee's going to have to dig deep. How well has he taken that one? He's looking clear-eyed at the referee, saying he's OK. But what a great right hand that was from Quillen. Five points down on our cards. Oh, lovely oh, shot. How about that? How about that? And Quillen got up too early now. Looks, looks like he um, regained control of his senses. Now, what a lovely right hook. Looks embarrassed as much as anything, Quillen. And now Lee's going looking for it. Your third and final judge at ringside, Glenn Feldman, scores the fight. 113 to 113. He has it even. The fight is declared a split draw. Um, I think it was a fair fair result in the end. He scored good knockdowns in the first few rounds. And I, I boxed my way back into it. And was stronger and more consistent going down the stretch. And that's all important in, in those championship 12 rounds. Um, it depends how you, you know, he got the knockdown. So that kind of skews you the judgment in his favour you're kind of looking at him to do something um, I got the one knockdown back and one of his knockdowns the last one he stood on my toe and the referee acknowledged that at the end of the fight he said I'm sorry I realise now that it was a mistake but you know you're in the fight it's hectic the punches are thrown everyone's you know what I mean anything can happen decisions are made a split second and um, it was a fair result in the end we're both counter punches ultimately we're also both very big punchers you saw there was knockdowns for both of us and um, we had to be careful like I said you can't make a false move because either of us would have made each other. he made a mistake I made him pay I made several mistakes and he caught me so uh, yeah we had to be careful at times and you know it might have been not great for the crowd watching but listen we're in the ring there and it's dangerous and uh, you have to be careful Given where you were after the third round does, does it kind of feel like a, a bit of a victory? No I, I don't know what, how to feel about it really it was weird, like it wasn't even a championship fight, so I mean it wasn't so coming in I'm not not making any excuses. But it, the result is I think it's a good thing because both of us enhanced our reputation. That was what was on the line here. No title but our reputations and we both come out looking you know, looking better from it because he showed his class and I showed my resilience and eventually my boxing. So um yeah, we, we could fight again, who knows, and uh, we'll see what happens. How disappointing was it for you that it wasn't the world title fight? You know, because you had psyched yourself up for that, and to only find out then yesterday that it's not going to be a world title fight, did it change your mindset coming into it? I don't like, don't really want to make any excuses or nothing. Like, and like I said, it was a fight at the end of the day, so we're going to win. Um, and like, I don't want to say, but you know, coming in there knowing that all oh, the titles were restored anyway, and then it's kind of. A sh- then in your mind, like if I lose the fight, I'm still champion. Well, how do I feel about that? You know, so it was it was a weird, awkward, not awkward, but a weird situation to go into. But um, okay, it was fight. You know, I wanted to fight, and I didn't want the fight to get cancelled. And that was the first thing I said to Adam: make sure we get the fight. And you're taking a bit of a break now, are you, for a few months? Or relax. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. I probably won't fight again until maybe August. I, you know, August at Tottenham Park would be nice. 
and uh, who knows like I'm just going to relax and enjoy not enjoy the result but enjoy my performance and what I showed and then take some time and then get back in the gym this is the Monday Rewind on News Talk and that was Andy Lee even if Lee had lost his fight he would have kept his world title belt because uh, Quillen failed to make the weight where will Lee's next bout be where will be what will be the first defence of his title be we hope it's Thoman Park he hopes it's Thoman Park let's hope it can happen the Champions League now uh, Raf Diallo of Team 33 and off the ball is with us Raf the quarterfinals start this week but I put it to you that because there's no Premier League involvement they're far less interesting than, than they normally would be perhaps yeah there'll always be people who are kind of like that but I think if you really want to see the best teams in Europe this is the point where you keep tuning in you know Real Madrid are still there Barcelona are still there Bayern Munich they're the top clubs in Europe. They're the players you want to see as well. You know, you've got you know Messi still there, Ronaldo's still there, Ibrahimovic. Well, he's banned for the first uh, leg of his match, but you know you, the top players are there, so it's still worth watching. And yeah, so this is where fans of football are separated from mere fans of clubs. Pretty much, yeah. Um, although, like, look, there's a lot of pl- there's plenty of narratives in these uh, in these upcoming games. You know, you've got the Madrid derby between uh, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid and that's quite fascinating in its own way because Atletico Madrid have won six or sorry have not been beaten by Real in the last in their last six meetings so you know there's a lot riding on that one can they get revenge for last season's Champions League final you know that's that's a huge fascination also you've got you know, a good, a really good game in prospect between Barcelona and PSG obviously PSG the team that knocked Chelsea out um They've got a few injury problems. Barcelona had a bit of a setback at the weekend, you know, drop or losing a two-goal lead to draw two-two. So all of this kind of, you know, it sets it up nicely for this week. And like even the the less high-profile fixtures are interesting in their own way. Like you know, Juventus and Monaco and uh, Porto and Bayern Munich. You know, it's uh, I think I think it's interesting. Yeah, we've gone kind of strongest ones first, though, haven't we, with this week's uh, fixtures? Yeah, the first uh, the first ones tomorrow night are Atletico and versus Real Madrid, obviously. And as I said, that's uh, it's tightly balanced. Real were very lucky to win last season's Champions League. You know, the last minute Sergio Ramos header, and then because Atletico tired out, they got the better of them in extra time. But the if it's played over two legs. It's very, very hard to predict based on Atletico's recent record against yeah. Real and the fact that Real still have a class team. Um, and, you know, Ronaldo started scoring again. So, who you know, it's very tightly balanced. I might have tipped Atletico this time last month, but the fact that Real Madrid are bouncing back a little bit, who knows? And know. they were unlucky last season in the final, weren't they? Because the Costa gamble didn't work out. Torres is yeah. at Atletico. It started off well, but I won't lie to you, Raf, and you know this, because I follow so much GA and go to matches at the weekend and because... I only really watch the Premier League because I'm one of those people who are, you know, easily led. I don't, I don't, uh, I, don't um, I don't, I don't dedicate my life to football. I don't watch a whole lot of uh, Spanish football. So how's he getting on now after a good start? Well, you actually look at the striker options they have, and he seems to be getting quite a lot of games. Mandzukic seems to have fallen out. Um, that's the Croatian striker who mm. once scored a double against I Ireland. I know who he is. Yes, well, just needed to, <laughs> to make clear. For the listeners, Raf. for yeah. the listeners. Well, yeah. You're a listener's man, Raf. Yes, of course. Uh, he doesn't see... Well, he was supposed he was supposedly seen as yeah. the kind of proper replacement for Diego Costa, but it seems like he's not really the automatic number one choice. Antoine Griezmann, French international, is the one that... You know, he's been in fantastic form of late, you know, loads of goals. And uh, Torres has also been, you know, he's not scoring bucket loads. He's only got a few here and there, but he's he, he's been impressive enough. And the thing as well, you know, he's back at home amongst his own people. So uh, his own Atletico people. Yes. So that's a help. Back among the people. What about Diego Simeone? Even if they don't get through this, he has done a hell of a job. He has, and they've signed him up till I think it's the 2020. Mm. So they, there was a word. Will they hang on to him for that long or is that just a thing where they they sign him up knowing that if someone does come in at the very, yeah, at the very least they'll get a bucket load of cash which well, they deserve the thing is I think he he was obviously a player for them back in the day so he's um, you know he's obviously he obviously has feelings for the club now the thing is do I really see him there till 2020 probably not but the thing is at least in the next for the next next season anyway he'll definitely be there and maybe the season after that just because I think the what was yeah. Or at least the claim is that the reason he wants to stay, or he that he was that he felt felt that he that their promises, the club's promises about you know investing in the club, not really losing star players, or even if they do, they're able to replace them. I think that's the kind of uh, I think that's the 
foundations he yeah. wanted and it's been promised to him and so far they've delivered. Because if they win the Champions League it's, it's not exactly Jose with Porto is it? Because compared to Barcelona and Real they are smaller but they're not a small club. Well neither are Porto to be honest. You know, Porto are the but, they're por- but they're Portuguese though so they'd be coming from a weaker base than they Atletico. They would be but you know they're Porto at least were perennial Champions League yeah. qualifiers whereas Atletico Madrid it's only in the last you know they were yeah but they were coming from a weaker pool if you know what I mean for Atletico oh, yeah, it's harder course, to get yeah. there it's harder to win the yeah, Spanish is. League and harder to get into the Champions League places it is and I suppose last season was a huge achievement that they were able to get over the line and actually finish above Barcelona and Real Madrid something which hadn't been done since you even think way back was 2004 I think yeah. was the last time a non you know big two club had won in Spain um, and look they've they have as long as they have Simeone they will be able to compete this season they haven't been quite as strong in the Spanish league just because like, their disciplinary record hasn't been as good yeah. maybe standards did sl- slip a little bit but they're still going to qualify for next season's tournament so they're they've a decent foundation it's just can they recapture the glories of last season and Real's form they won at the weekend and they beat Granada 9-1 the previous weekend Ronaldo's Ronaldo scoring 5 yeah. now they've you know, I think one of the things that's improved for them is Modric's return. Bale had been had been injured as well recently, so you know, look, you look at Ronaldo starting to find, you know, get himself back on the score sheet again, and all you've got to looking at that, you've got to say, really, it's a tightly balanced match, the way it is, you know, between an Atletico that has the hoodoo over them, but also obviously Real have the best players in the world. Okay, predictions for this week's games. First leg, I think Real and Atletico will draw. Yep. I think Juventus will edge Monaco by goal to nil. They're at home first. Um, Porto will lose to Bayern Munich, I think, but it won't be a landslide. And uh, Barcelona will edge PSG, I think. Okay, Raf Diallo of Team 33 and uh, Off the Ball, thanks for joining us. When can we catch up with uh, Team 33 this week? Um, you can catch up with us on Tuesday. Uh, podcast comes out in the afternoon. We're also on air as such uh, at midnight and uh, also Friday at 11. But this week we're looking forward to, I think for anyone who watches Arsenal Fan TV, there's a guy called Claude that people might recognise. Mm. He's famous in terms of vines and stuff and in terms of watching him on YouTube. So... Hopefully, if all goes to plan, we'll have him on this week. Arsenal back in the title race, although Rob Green tried to knock them out of it by making a mistake in the lead-up to Cesc Fabregas' goal yesterday. You heard about that from Ray Houghton uh, earlier on. Raf Diallo, thanks for joining us on the Monday Rewind podcast. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget, next Monday, we're looking back on Leinster against Toulon in the Champions Cup. Let's hope we're talking about a Leinster win. We'll also be looking back on a Premier League weekend, which could see Chelsea go closer to the title. And also, there'll be teams jockeying for position in the race for the Champions League. As well as all that, there's the Allianz League semi-finals. Shane Stapleton of the Star I previewed them earlier on. Waterford taking on Tip and Dublin taking on Cork. It should be a good day in Nolan Park. Until next week, take care and good luck. The Monday Rewind. He leaves it actually for Young. Whips it into the penalty area. Header for Chris Balling! And United are tearing City apart. He lays it back for Fabregas! Seth! Fabregas with two and a half minutes remaining lifts off his mask like the phantom he just slips into the penalty area and slides the ball past Rob Green that is what champions do it was very nerve-wracking I thought today might be a little easier than yesterday having played around with the lead but it wasn't it's the most incredible week of my life this is as great as it gets in our sport this is a dream come true for me the fight is declared a split draw um, I think it was a fair fair result in the end. He scored good knockdowns in the first few rounds. I, I boxed my way back into it. Um, we're stronger and more consistent going down the stretch. That's all important in, in those championship 12 rounds. Well, the referee has blown the full-time whistle and by the skin of their teeth, Dublin have reached the Allianz League final where they'll meet Cork in two weeks. The final score, Dublin 17 points, Monaghan 16. While there was a lack of intensity, there was high scoring and there were some very high quality scores in both games and that's what we, that's what we want to go and see and we want to watch quality scores and quality players playing that and we got that today.